Before we begin today's show, Season 2 of the ESPN Investigates podcast is now available. The Running Man tells the story of an obscure former Olympian, an alleged serial sexual predator, and how a 14-month ESPN investigation brought him out of the shadows. More than 50 men were physically abused and mentally manipulated by their coach for over 40 years until they banded together decades later to find justice. Subscribe and listen now to the ESPN Investigates podcast wherever you get your podcasts or where you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, subscribe, rate, and review to The Hoop Collective. Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing today. We're recording this Thursday morning. We're giving our producer Troy a break, not having him record in the middle of the night. Uh, recording Thursday morning uh, with Timothy Band McMahon joining us from Dallas. McMahon, welcome. Howdy, partners. And joining us from just a little bit south and west, south by southwest, some would say, is <laughs> Kurt Coldsberry from Austin, Texas. It's Texas feel today um we got texas covered brian <laughs> guys we have big breaking news this morning this is big breaking news i'm so glad that the podcast didn't go till t- this morning because i can tell you that just into my inbox the big announcement that the pepsi center in in denver will be renamed ball arena a clear sign the nuggets are trading up for Lamelo. <laughs> <laughs> See, I twisted my just, cheesy. I twisted. I, I changed up my cheesy uh, pre-show joke and 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 threw in another ball brother. Another brother. It was there was another ball brother joke. Yeah. Um. I guess. Uh, it matters. They'll get a G League team, and Leangelo will be there. For for corporate uh, synergy, um, they should probably offer Jamal Murray for the number one pick, right? I mean, that's that's a good trade. I would do that, right? I was yeah. I was thinking Michael Porter Jr., but yeah. No, he's untouchable. Um. So. An important move in the NBA happened uh, yesterday with Stan Van Gundy um, uh, being hired in in uh, in New Orleans. Um, this is a this is an interesting hire. Now um, we were, we were watching this at ESPN. It didn't hit us as a surprise. Um, Stan, from what I understand, had been offered the job last weekend, and this negotiations took place over the next few days. Um, and look, uh, David Griffin was really interested in Ty Lue, but Ty Lue wasn't getting out of LA. And if he was getting out of LA, it was Philly or Houston. It was going to be tough for him to get to new Orleans. And he, they focused on Stan as the backup candidate, um, for a while. I know it didn't get public for a while and Griff, you know, from what I understand, Griff didn't really. If Stan had turned him down, which he could have, you know, Stan is a guy who he walked away from the coaching job in Detroit. They were taking the president title, if you remember, and and they really wanted him to stay on as coach. And he basically said, no, I'm not going to do that. Stan is not afraid to walk away from a coaching job. He doesn't need the money. He had another job. And, you know, there was a there was a 24 hour period there. I mean, I'll tell you that um, from what I am told, you know, on Tuesday, Griff reached out to a to a fresh candidate. That he hadn't, um, that he hadn't uh, interviewed, you know, basically looking for another candidate uh, because it wasn't clear whether they were going to be able to do the deal with Stan. So it leads me to believe that his backups had Stan said no, he didn't feel 
great about her. He wasn't, he didn't have like a, a candidate he was going to immediately turn to. So this was an important hire. And this is the guy that Griff wanted. They didn't have a history. They hadn't worked together before, even though both had been in the league for over 20 years. So McMahon, um, this is a huge moment for the Pelicans with where they are with Zion and their young players. Um, what did you think of this hire? How do you think this fits? No, I mean, look, Stan Van Gundy has been a very successful coach whenever he's been just a head coach and not had the, you know, primary front office decision maker responsibilities. And so, you know, I think they got a guy who has has proven that he can develop young talent and win. And obviously those are the, you know, th- those are the two priorities with the Pelicans. And uh, it'll be interesting. And I don't know, you know, how much we will know this, but I'm definitely interested to know how much influence, how much input he will have on the shaping of that roster, because obviously they've Supposedly got Supposedly some... none. He is the coach and not doesn't have a say in in uh, personnel. Although, of course, you're consulting the coach. That happens. Right. I mean, more. right. Like he's not going to make the decisions, but how much, you know, exactly how much weight will his opinions carry? with David Griffin because they have major decisions to make. And obviously the, the, the biggest one of those is what do you do with Drew Holiday? Do you, do you kind of go all in on trying to compete for a playoff spot right now? Or do you look at, I mean, what very well could be the best uh, trade chip in the market this off season and, and try to cash in on that and, and really fill out uh, the, the young core around Zion and Brandon Ingram. But yeah, but Kirk, you're not hiring Stan Van Gundy if you're beginning a two-year retrofitting process, are you? You're hiring him because you're you're trying to be very competitive now. Yeah, that's that's how I read it, and and I I think it's a great hire for as you say a team that that has uh, trouble recruiting sort of high-profile coaches into that market. But look, I think you're right, Brian. This is a team with clear postseason expectations. But the question now is, are those expectations even realistic and if you guys will indulge me for a minute i think if you look at the western conference there's not a lot of room in the postseason bracket the top tier if you look at the 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 western conference in terms of tiers there are four teams in this top tier including the lakers clippers nuggets and don't forget the golden state warriors i think there's four teams right there maybe they're back (laughs) well they're at least coming into camp it remains to be seen but they're coming into camp expecting to make the conference finals, only two of those four top teams are going to do it. And then there's four bottom playoff spots for these second-tier teams. And let's include their five teams that made the playoffs last year, the Rockets, which I think we'll talk about in a minute, the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Thunder, and the Blazers. All five of them made the playoffs last year. Maybe one of two of them, Brian, fall out. But look, yeah, then we get to Oklahoma City is the one I'd bet there. Fall yeah, out. fair enough. But here's, here's where it gets interesting. It's crowded up there. Uh, then there's this tier of Stan Van Gundy's new team, and they're not alone. Uh, we have a hearty group of sort of upstart teams out West trying to squeeze into the bracket. And we have the Memphis Grizzlies, who have their own phenomenal young core in place. The Phoenix Suns, who don't forget went 8-0 in the bubble and have a legit young superstar. And I'll throw in San Antonio and Minnesota, who both feature all-stars. So simply put, you know, there's a clear path where none of that third tier will even make the playoffs. The There's Sacramento no Kings expect to, you didn't mention them either, but they are not tanking. They are. No, I, mean, I think one tanking. I think, by the way, you described why the, what you just said there to take a quick leave is why the Oklahoma city thunder, I think 
intend to sort of take a step back because everybody is going forward. They need to retrofit anyway. And it's a really good draft. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's, it's not a good year to tank, you know, I mean, again, it's a loaded word and, you know, people put their, put their backs up. It's not a good year to tank when there's six teams trying to do the same thing. But if there's two teams, I mean, even the Knicks, a team that to me, it makes sense for them to tank. There's legitimate rumors out there about, about them looking at Chris Paul. Um, you know, the Cavs who have, who have sort of been at the bottom from what I understand, intend to move up the, they, you know, they intend to hit the gas a little bit. Um, there's not a lot of tankers out there, uh, which is, I think Sam Presti is reading that, but it, it goes to your point, which is how competitive the West will be as the Pelicans look at making their decision. And they point out that JJ Redick and Drew Holiday both can be free agents after this season. That plays into the decisions. And, and I think if you're the Pelicans, you the question has to be, what's the best path to building a potential contender around this generational talent in Zion? Not what's the best path to, to crack in the playoffs this season. And so, I mean, at the minimum, they absolutely have to aggressively explore the the you know what's out there for Holiday and what's out there for Redick. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, look, the, 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 there's no room for error out West. I think they are sort of in playoff now mode, judging by the hire, if you read the tea leaves. And there's, there's no room for error. And that means for New Orleans, there's, there's zero room for Zion to miss time. And this is an absolutely crucial year for his development window. Uh, and Brian, Stan Van Gundy is a lot of things. Uh, but but he's not a miracle worker, and and I think really when I look at the Pelicans in in this upcoming season, their their playoff legitimacy based on the context of the Western Conference depends on Zion's health. And my question for you guys is that a bet you're willing to make? Can Zion even play a full season uh, and and get this team over the hump? Well, I agree with you, Kirk. I think the days that are happening right now are vital for the Pelicans because Zion has to be using this time to get himself healthy and to get himself in better condition. They fell all over themselves last year to make it clear that they did not feel that Zion was out of shape. You know, um, David Griffin was very careful in, you know, they didn't want to ever portray him that way. But if you watched him in the bubble, it was clear he was either injured and they weren't admitting it which is possible, or two, he was way out of shape. I mean, they they released a photo about 15 seconds after he had gotten done um, lifting weights um, right when they were coming back, and it was this incredible photo of his veins popping, and it was like from the chest up, and people were like, oh, my God, Zion's in shape, baby, look out. And then I actually saw him, and I was like, oh, God, he can't move. Well, you and get the wide-angle lens and re release a photo of his butt. So, I mean, he's never going to be Chris Bosh, okay? Um, but, but can can he be a, a you know, more muscular version of Kevin Love? I mean, that's the body. Well, even you know, what Kevin you, Love did is extreme. I mean, yes, but. But I'm saying a guy who Love was a chunky dude when he came in the league, and he's, he's you know, still a big-chested guy, but he's, I mean, leaned out significantly. And you just cannot have 
that kind of, you can't be 300 plus pounds and that explosive and not expect to have some, some knee problems. Well, we often see, it's a very commonplace thing to see in the NBA. And I'll just offer you his own teammate right now. It was the other end of the spectrum. Lonzo Ball came into the NBA as a string bean and put on, I mean, he is, again, he is never going to be confused with LeBron James, but you look at the transformation that Lon, you know, Lonzo came into the league got bumped around for a year and said, this isn't going to work. Um, and immediately started to put on weight. This, this happens. Uh, players come into the league, understand what it means to play in the league, understand what it means to be a pro athlete, uh, you know, begin the reality of, of doing this 365. And you see them regularly in years two and three transform their body. So what I would like to say is that Zion is every day working with that, that he, hired a chef and he hired a trainer, but I don't honestly know where Zion is. Um, and the one thing about Zion is that his stepfather, uh, Lee Anderson, um, he is very much, uh, Zion's shepherd. He is very much in control. He is essentially, from what I understand, Zion's personal coach. He is the one who is developing him. And, I don't know, Lee. For all I know, this guy is incredibly well um, uh, resourced and has done a lot of work. And w I mean, Zion became the number one pick in the NBA draft working with Lee Anderson. And so he did something right. Like this is a thing, you know, you, you want to criticize LeVar Ball all you want. This guy is going to have raised two top three draft picks. Uh, he did things right. He may not have handled his public persona right or his marketing uh, right, but he he knew how to help raise good basketball players. And maybe Lee Anderson has done that. Uh, now, I would argue that Lee Anderson hasn't done so well in the business aspect because Zion is tied up in a couple of lawsuits. And I don't know what's true because there's a lot of things being accused. But let's just say it was not a uh, there was not great decision making happening there. And that is worrisome, just like with LeVar. That is worrisome. Um, but I, I don't know how it is with basketball, but I will say to you to this, the Zion who came to training camp and got hurt and the Zion who came back to the bubble, that isn't working. So the Zion who shows up whenever we come back for basketball is important as the JJ Redick, Drew Holiday, Derek Favors decisions are the Zion that shows up, whether that's his own process or that's the Pelicans getting him there is is more important on who's wearing the suit on the sideline in my view Kirk yeah I agree I think <clears throat> summing up this team and its future and, and Tim hit on this a little bit is the the long-term objective is more important than the short-term objective this team isn't getting over the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nuggets or, or this or the Golden State Warriors this year that their task is to build superstars not only just out of Zion but out of Brandon Ingram and some of their other young young talent and they have a chance to have one of the best young cores not just in the Western Conference in the entire NBA um, and that comes down to player development and nurturing this incredible group of young players. And I think, you know, Zion is the centerpiece and rightfully so. Uh, but man, if you look at the, the last season, to your point, Brian, the best ability is availability. And he didn't check that most important box in, in the NBA. And so when I come back to, will they make the playoffs or won't they make the playoffs this year? Yeah. That's not really that important. I think they want to make the playoffs. I just don't know if that's realistic given the, the context of the West 
and given Zion Williamson's ability to stay upright on the basketball court. And I also just don't know that, you know, pushing uh, whatever, let's say there's, well, I'll say 82 games, although who knows how many games there'll be in the schedule, but hey, we've got to have him for 80. No, that's not it. Like Zion playing every single game and making this all out push for a playoff spot in his second season. Screw that, dude. You, you, you want to have, you know, 12 to 15 years of this guy. And then, you know, and and that goes back to what you're saying, Wendy, when you talk about, you know, the off season work and changing the body and all that kind of stuff, it's not just about this season. It's about building a foundation. So this guy can have a long career and and not end up as one of the you know biggest what if stories in the history of the league. So I I will just you know compare what happened with LeBron in Cleveland to to what's happened with Zion in Cleveland. Uh, the Cavs missed the playoffs the first two years, uh, fired the coach and GM, and they rebuilt around him with uh, with cap space. They signed a bunch of veteran players. Um, and within two years, they were in the finals, but they were not built for long-term success. And the seeds of LeBron leaving Cleveland began when the, with the decisions about how they built around him. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my gosh, the Pelicans need to worry about Zion's long-term, blah, blah, blah. But, I, but I'm just going to say that the decisions that were made in LeBron's second season set up him leaving after, after year seven. And the Pelicans are very, very well positioned right now because of the Anthony Davis trade, um, because they got young players. They, you know, they got Brandon Ingram, they got Lonzo Ball, and they got those draft picks from the Lakers, which either can be used in picking players or can be used in trades later. And they were, and the team that they fielded this year had a nice mix of veterans and young players. Um, I think they're actually in good position relative to other uh, young stars who were on teams that really started from nothing because you, you typically start from nothing when you get the number one pick. They are in a better position than some of those other teams were in, better than you know the Magic were in with Dwight Howard, for example, Uh you know, even into a certain extent better than um, the Thunder were in for Durant because they had to wait a couple of years to get some more picks to build up the, they were awful Durant's first couple of years. Um, And this is the type of player that I think we're talking about here. This is, so I think that's relevant. um, But I also think that uh, it it makes their decision even more, a little bit um, fragile because uh, you have to kind of pick a path here. And as Kirk mentioned, Van Gundy, um, you don't, and I'm sure, you know, I haven't heard the salary numbers, but you're not paying San Van Gundy an entry level salary, especially since this is a guy who wasn't, you know, dying to have another coaching job. So um, you don't pay a coach like that to oversee um, a developmental process. So, but, you know, I don't, I, if you're trading Drew Holiday, I don't think you necessarily have to, you know, make it a, hey, we're punting on this season type of thing. Just, you know, for example, if you trade Drew Holiday, say it's to the Nets. Obviously, that, that you know that's a team that's going to come up uh, in, in in rumors and discussions. If you're getting back Karis Levert and you know either Jared Allen or or a Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, you're getting back quality players who can come in and and hoop right now, but are more aligned with uh you know with with a long term plan. I'm not and I'm not sitting here telling you Karis Levert is is as impactful as Drew Holiday. He, he's not, but he is a guy who can you know, go out and, and, and light it up. And I, and I just don't think that 
uh, a, a trade like that would would you know signal that hey you know we're giving up on this season. Well, um, I would I would be surprised if they trade JJ Redick because Redick was one of the drawing cards for Van Gundy. There, he coached him in Orlando, and um, I think early in the process, I was told that uh, Griff uh, came to JJ to sort of get a scouting report on Stan Van Gundy, and it was was JJ's strong recommendation that helped Griff uh, continue to pursue him. And, you know, it was interesting over the weekend, last weekend, I noticed that Griff and uh, JJ were tweeting back and forth at each other. Uh, not about the Pelicans or anything, just it might've been about politics or something else, or I was like joking. And I, I was aware <clears throat> at that time they were tweeting back and forth that Stan had been offered the job. And obviously, JJ was aware that Stan had been offered the job. And I said, well, if they're talking like this, I got to believe Stan, you know, they got to be on good terms. I got to believe Stan is uh, taking that job. But uh, knowing that, I would be very surprised if they moved JJ Redick. I think JJ is going to end up being Stan's right hand man on the roster, probably, for uh, when they arrive, Kirk, when he arrives. Yeah. And I think uh, JJ has proven to be one of the sort of more savvy, smart veterans in the league. Uh, right now, and I mean, he, he's certainly a player you can trust um, to be a professional in the locker room and and sort of lead a team, even though he might not be the best player on the team. But yeah, I think that that relationship, when they had great success together in Orlando, and JJ's long playoff streak really started, um, I think you know that bodes well here. I keep going back to that concept that Tim brought up too, which is really the challenge here. They're balancing short-term and long-term with this program. And JJ's not part of that long-term and, and, and maybe Derek Favors isn't, uh, maybe even Drew Holiday isn't, but how do you balance bringing in Stan and winning now uh, and trying to get into those Western Conference playoffs with building a program for success for that great group of young, young players? And can those two things coexist? I really think, Brian, that – is is the major task for Stan Van Gundy is building sort of that coexistence between a development regime for the young group and a playoff push that that keeps the veterans happy too if they're not going to move them. Yeah, and the other thing is you you part of the long term kind of building a a contender long term is you know culture is an overused word, but it is establishing a culture and there is value in having uh, veteran presence in the locker room. You know, especially, like you said, a guy like J.J. Redick who knows exactly what Stan Van Gundy, you know, what he wants and, in, in, you know, out of his players and what kind of program he's trying to uh, establish there. You know, you, you, you can't just field a 25 and under team and expect to develop that kind of culture. So what would you do with Fa – I know you know Favors uh, from his Utah days when you were there a lot. You know, he's a free – unrestricted free agent. He was really important to them last year. When he was right and playing well, they played well. Um, the market for him is going to be interesting. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up back in Utah. Hmm. You know, they, de they definitely missed him last year. I think he would have to go back understanding that, uh, he's not going to be the starting power forward. He's going to be, uh, you know, a 16 to 18 minute per game backup center, which, you know, given some of his physical issues might be the best role for him. Uh, Does Utah point. have salary cap space? No, it it have to yeah. be you know it have to be with exception the mid level. Yeah, um, or, I think he can, know, I think he can do better than that. Well, but he may not be able to. I don't know. And 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 you know that'll be interesting. Um, 
you know, the other question there is how much do they like uh, Jackson Hayes and how much do they do they want to get him uh, on the floor and, and – more of a full-time role. Well, the real interesting thing there, you know, within the league, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball recently hired Rich Paul, and Lonzo Ball is eligible for a contract extension. Um, I think they want to keep him, uh, but figuring out how much to pay him, um, this comes back to the old betting on the come that I talk about. Uh, This would be a very interesting negotiation for any team. A player like Lonzo Ball, top five pick, uh, who has improved, but doesn't look like he's going to be an all-star. But you recognize there's probably improvement growth there, and he probably thinks he's going to be an all-star. Now, Rich Paul got Anthony Davis out of there, and let me be clear, there were hard feelings in that organization. Now, it's a new general manager, but it is not a new owner, okay? And so... um I wonder, and Lonzo Ball's eyes were wide open to that. It wasn't like he's not aware of this when he hired Rich Paul. Um, I wonder how those talks will go. And I wonder what sort of implication, you know, there is. And at the end of the day, I have heard over my 17, now that I guess this is 18 years covering the NBA, I have heard many times where an organization has said, we're not doing business with that agent anymore because they're angry about something that happened. Um, and invariably, especially if the agent is, is powerful as rich, uh, is that's a, that's an empty threat because you have to do business in this league. Just as rich Paul, if, if, uh, he's negotiating with the team that, um, he feels wronged one of his players. If he has another player uh, a year later, that, makes sense for that team. He owes it to that player to, to not hold that over. Um, and I know rich well, and I can tell you that within a conversation, you can be talking to rich about a player or a situation and he can express to you extreme displeasure (laughs) about something that you said or wrote or implied or whatever, or misunderstood. And then when you change the topic to another player, rich turns the page and begins he is a, I would say one of his great attributes is his ability to just do business. So when Rich Paul goes to talk to David Griffin about Alonzo Ball contract extension, I promise you, Anthony Davis, that scar tissue will not enter into it for an iota. But I can't say from the organization going backwards that that's going to be the case. So watching what happens with Lonzo, and like, look, I don't know. I mean, for all I know, it's going to all be fine. But when, it, when Lonzo Ball hired Rich Paul, in New Orleans, less than a year or roughly a year after Anthony Davis, you know, was the, the forced his way out with all of that mess that Rich was into. And, and Anthony Davis got fined um, for Rich making public comments and, and Rich going on the record with Sports Illustrated, you know, to scare away the, the Celtics, which, you know, really, you know, further upset the Pelicans because it eliminated a bitter and all these things. Um when that happened, there was a reaction in the league. Like, what does this mean? So in addition to just the decisions about the guys under contract, there's a decision with Lonzo. And by the way, it could just be that they don't extend and they play the season out, which, you know, might make a lot of sense for both sides anyway. But that's another thing to keep an eye on in New Orleans. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup. 
blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Okay, I also want to talk about the Houston Rockets. Um, we didn't talk about the Rockets on this. I know there's been a lot of discussion about uh, Daryl Morey's departure. You, If you're a basketball fan, you've heard it all. I don't think we need to talk about that right now. It is what it is. Um, McMahon, you cover the Rockets on a uh, daily basis. I want to talk about going forward, not a daily, but pretty close to daily. How many times do you think you've flown from Dallas to Houston or vice versa in the last three years? Well, it's triple triple digits. Right. So um, Tillman Fertitta, who I appreciate, uh, goes on the record every single week. He goes on CNBC to mostly talk about his uh, restaurant. He doesn't say restaurant. He says restaurant. Uh, uh, and the man has 500 of them. I, I'll take his uh, opinion on how I pronounce it. Um, uh, you know, and basically every week he's saying, open up the restaurants, open up the hotels, open up the casinos. And I understand why he says it. That's where his money comes from. Uh, but he answers uh, Rockets questions almost every week on there, on the record, on television. And for that, I am appreciative. And one of the things that he said this week was, you know, they're not blowing it up. They're going to keep competing. And people were kind of surprised by that. And I was like, why would you be surprised? But man, they don't have a choice. They have to keep the pedal down. Well, and, you know, the, the here's the thing. They they feel like James Harden's the best player in the league. You know, we can debate that, but James Harden is a perennial MVP candidate. That's obvious. And they feel like as long as they have James Harden as a perennial MVP candidate, they need to do what they can to try to win a championship with him. And, you know, we can debate and discuss whether they've actually done that, you know, given some of the ducking and dodging of the luxury tax, so on and so forth. But there's there's no intention to take a step back as long as they have James Harden playing at an MVP level and on board. And honestly, I think it, they understand that there is a window here that will be closing at some point in the not-too-distant future, and there will be some difficult decisions to make. But those difficult decisions aren't, you know, in, in terms of the, the direction of the franchise, that's not this offseason. We'll see about next offseason that they it's not their intention then. Uh, and and honestly, those decisions might be made for them in the sense that James Harden might be the one who ends up telling the Rockets, hey, it's time to go a different direction. Let's 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 see what's out there for me in terms of the of the trade market. But again, that's not right now. They don't they don't intend for it to be next season. They're looking at at least a two year window with Harden and Westbrook and 
you know, hustling to try to win, uh, you know, with those two guys as the franchise pillars. But having said that, they've they've used up a whole lot of chips already to get Russ and to get Covington. Well, that's the thing. Like uh, Kirk, um, their future is sort of already mapped out for them. Um, they don't have this year's first round pick. And next year's first round pick is swappable with the Thunder. Uh, I think it's top four protected. So unless you're all the way down and you get super lucky in the lottery, um, you know, it's you know, it's swappable. And then their their 2022 and 2023 picks they still have. And then 2024, 25, and 26 have either been traded or swapped to the Thunder. So the Thunder control well, their draft with with top four protection. Okay, you're right. But with where the lottery is these days, it's not feasible. You can't guarantee yourself a top four pick right? by being terrible. My point is they have set themselves up for a rebuild in 22 and 23, um, at least where they're, aimed, they're right now. And by the way, uh, Westbrook and Harden are 31. I think I think Westbrook will be 32 by the time next season starts. I think he's I think he's got a birthday coming up here this month or within the next month. Um, like Daryl Morey aligned it that way, Kirk. Um, and they've got five guys under contract for 120 other million dollars. And frankly, Westbrook isn't really tradable for value at his salary. I mean, you could trade him for something. I don't think you'd get better. And to be honest with you, with Eric Gordon starting a four year how long, how big was that contract? Uh, it's, it's really, it's really a three, it's four years, 76, but it's really a three year deal. Okay. When you look at the, have the lap, the triggers to guarantee the last year. But I don't think you could really trade him for value right now either. No. So it's not like you can say, oh, well, we could swap. So Kirk, like they, they're pretty much locked in this. To me, the bigger question is what are they going to do to, to, to bolster this roster? And if I was on CNBC, I would ask Tillman, I wouldn't be asking Tillman about him trading Russell Westbrook. I'd be asking Tillman. Are you going to spend your mid-level and biannual exceptions this year? That's what I'd be asking. Well, and and uh, and real quick, they're mid-level to to avoid. And Kirk, you can probably explain this a hell of a lot better than me. Uh, because of luxury tax slash salary cap nerd reasons, their their mid-level is really five point seven. It's not the full. But they haven't yeah. even spent the five point seven the last few years. Fair point. I, I think. Uh, <clears throat> look. They have a problem that a lot of teams would love to have. They, and Tim alluded to this. They have James Harden at the center of the roster. They don't have a lot of money to spend. They don't have that much flexibility. They do have the longest playoff streak in the NBA. Uh, and James Harden is the main reason for that. He is unstoppable. I'm not going to get into a debate whether he's the best mm -hmm. player in the league, the second or the third. Nobody can guard this dude. And NBA history is pretty simple. If you have one of those guys, you're going to the playoffs. They might not win it all. Um, but I'd feel pretty comfortable right now picking the Houston Rockets to make the, the playoffs, regardless of who, who's coaching them, because of the best scorer in the NBA. Uh, so James Harden is a great starting point. Russell Westbrook comes with his quirks and his contracts. We know what those things are. Uh, Eric Gordon is a real wild card. When yeah. he's going, when he's playing well, all of a sudden the Rockets look ferocious. And when he's unable to play, all of a sudden they look very mortal. Uh, and then you add Covington in. I like their core. But, Brian, to your point, I don't like their long-term horizon. James Harden is 31. He is a player that might not age into that body very well. Uh, that's at least a fair question. And you look at the long-term horizon, they, they're sort of in win now. And, and you said this, Brian, better than I will. 
they're in win now, not by choice, but because of circumstances. They have they have to build around James. Um, and I think D'Antoni and Maury left them a pretty good blueprint for that. If you can put a competent defense out there and you can decorate the edges of the court with good shooting, James Harden will take care of most of the offense by himself. So it really comes down to can they stay healthy? And that's mostly about Eric Gordon because James, to his credit, has, has proved to be one of the Ironmen in the league. Uh, and then and, and can the surrounding pieces perform on both ends of the floor, making threes on the one end and playing sound defense on the other? If they can, I'm putting this team in the playoffs 100 times out of 100. Um, and I think whoever replaces uh, the, the head coach and whoever starts making the trade decisions has some choices to make with the mid-level and some of these other tools. Um, but they, 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 they've got a great start here. And, and I would just say James Harden, is going to the playoffs. He's proven it eight years in a row. Tell me why he's not. Um, that said, this is not a championship team right now. I think I think they're like a mid-level Western Conference team, and that's fine. That's competitive. Well, and I, I agree with what you're saying, but like Harden makes them an elite offense, and you know that makes them a a, a playoff team. Um, for them to have any legitimate championship hopes, Russell Westbrook also has to be playing at a an all nba you know mvp candidate type of level and when that's you know when you when you talk about staying healthy russell westbrook is the biggest the, the biggest point of emphasis there i mean even more so than gordon and it's kind of ironic because on the list not at the top of the list but on the list of reasons they felt okay about the russ cp3 trade was because cp3 had so you know such uh durability issues and and you know, Russ was a guy who was going to play 80 plus games a year. And obviously last year, you know, that, that went the other direction. Um, as you know, I just, as much as Russ flaming out in the playoffs and, you know, the coronavirus that I think factored into the, the quad injury and him being a shell of himself during the playoffs, that's what people remember. And that that's understandable. It's easy to forget once kind of, they got him healthy coming off of a knee surgery got him comfortable, made some adjustments, opened up the floor. For two and a half months before the season was suspended, he was putting up 32-8-8 eight and eight in the most efficient uh, basketball he'd ever played in the NBA. Oh, my God. Like, I'm so glad you said that, Tim, because there was a period of time where they had they had aligned Russell Westbrook's talents to his shot selection, which nobody, nobody had ever done before. And he literally, the stat, one of the definitive stats for Houston season last year pre-pandemic was – Russell Westbrook, I think, in, in the first two months of 2020, was the leading scorer in the NBA in the paint. He was outscoring Giannis in the paint. And they had gotten him to be that attack dog that he is. he's at his best when he is a straight line to the rim, not messing with the threes, not messing with the pull-ups. And he had, like you're saying, it was the most efficient Westbrook we've ever seen. If whoever comes in here and coaches this team can, can get that guy and he can stay healthy to your point, which is a big if with him, uh, then you have two legit guards, and and you have a legit chance to get to the conference finals, maybe even further if they are humming. Uh, so you, we'll see. I think he is sort of the biggest X factor in in Houston's next season. Well, one of the things that Daryl and it did so well when he was there was, despite having huge salaries, you know, whether it was James and Dwight Howard, or James and Chris Paul, or James and Russell Westbrook was they did so well finding players on the margins. 
Um, and especially because he was often limited on not being able to use the mid-level. So again, the question is, can the new front office, which is led by Raphael Stone, who was promoted, um, can they find those types of players? Uh, you know, and, and will they spend, you know, for example, will they spend a little bit of money to go get, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, looking in this free agent class, is it, is it, um, is it Wes Matthews? Is it, you know, Mo Hark, Mo Hark, Mo Harkless? Are they, are they going out and, and spending like, you know, those guys are probably going to be more than mid-level players. I mean, more than minimum players. Uh, or is he, you know, trying to find, you know, guys, you know, basically sitting on the fringe of the league, like Jeff Green and stuff like that. Like that's that's the right. real question, and 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 that's going to end. Up, I know that you know I don't want to sit here and, and argue about who the seventh man on the roster is going to be, but that was often the difference in the Rockets over the last few years was those additions that Daryl Moore was able to make on the cheap. But that's one more thing. Yeah, just just on that point, O'Brien, like. Daryl was ahead of the curve finding these three and D off ball players that could sit next to James and just make corner three after corner three, or, you know, from Daniel house on down. But uh, the league is smarter. The league is also looking for all those guys too. There are not that many. Uh, And I think Daryl to his credit was ahead of that curve Uh, and Raphael Stone and, and that group has to come in and sort of figure out how to find those players amongst a group of teams. that's now all looking for those players in part because of Daryl's influence on this league. And two things that I've been told. One is that they do plan to spend the $5.7 million, which that's their mid-level exception without hard capping themselves. Now, I was told last year they planned on spending the mid-level the year before. So, you know, it's one of those believe when you see, but that's what they're saying. Uh, The other thing is that they would like to have a kind of capella light type of center on the roster, not necessarily in the starting lineup, but on the roster, they want to at least have the ability to have, you know, to, to be able to, to play different styles and not just the all small all the time. And I, I was told that that was the plan last year. They made the Covington trade. They thought they could backfill that spot. Uh, the name that was brought up to me was Nerland's Noel. Yeah. That was uh, the name I was thinking. Yep. They were apparently, they, they thought they could get a deal done with OKC uh, at the deadline to get Noel. That didn't happen. They had some other discussions that also fell through. But Noel's a guy who he ain't ever getting the four-year $70 million he left on the table that, <laughs> that he told Cuban he wanted Max, and Cuban swiped that off real quick. Um, but he's been a productive player in OKC the last couple of years on a minimum. And, you know, I, I, he is a guy who – uh, you know, he, he can he can catch lobs, he can switch defensively, and, you know, he can kind of give them a a different look, um, you know, as, as a guy coming off their bench. Would make what about sense. a guy like uh, Paul Millsap? Uh, at, what, at, at what price? Well, I mean, I don't know what Paul Millsap's market's going to be. It's probably not going to be in Denver for much because – Denver is bumping their own head against their own against luxury tax, and they've yeah. got Michael Porter to fill that role. Um, you know, I think Millsap's going to be a guy who is going to be interesting for teams playing with the exception. You know, yeah, uh, that's a guy who stretches the floor, can guard multiple positions. Um, you know, again, that's that's the thing. Like, uh, are you willing to actually spend the full mid level, or you want to, you know? 
Well, again, they're not spending the full because I understand. But even the the the, the taxpayer mid level, which is what you're talking about, um, you know, I guess we'll see because that's a guy who could be a, a difference maker for them. Yeah. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Ty Lu got another guy a job this week. A little bit more recent, uh, Kirk. Um, now, I did, let me just say, I found it very interesting that every story that was written about this by all the beat writers from the Clippers uh, all mentioned how extensive of a search the Clippers went through before settling on Ty Lue. And then when they opened their press conference um, uh, Wednesday uh, to introduce him, uh, Steve Ballmer, who was in some sort of log cabin, which let me guess probably isn't a cabin, <laughs> but, but he was in some sort of log cabin room doing this press conference. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, he, right from the start, emphasized this extensive search that they did. And look, I was told that Steve Ballmer himself was out calling on some of the candidates they interviewed. Like uh, one of the candidates that they interviewed, um, Steve Ballmer called an owner that he used to work for. And when that candidate heard that, he was like, oh, my God, I might... I might have a shot here if the owner is calling the other owner. That's not something that happens very often. Um, so I I believe them that they that they really did 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 their homework here. But Ballmer made a big deal to start of the press conference about how exhaustive the search was. But and all of the writers wrote that, which means behind the scenes the team have been selling the search, the search, the search, and. You know, here's this skeptical SOB that I am because I've been around for 20 years. I'm like, well, they really need to sell the search because they have to explain how the GM who Doc Rivers hired and the assistant coach who Doc Rivers hired fired him and replaced him with the guy. And it, it's it's kind of a suspect look. Um, even if that's not true, it's a suspect look. And so that's why the search, the search, the search. But the day that Doc Rivers was fired, most people in this league believe Ty Lue was getting that job, Kirk, and that's what has happened. And again, I covered this man every single day. He is a very good coach. I don't think he's always presented himself to the media and therefore the public as cerebrally as he is. Uh, early in his tenure in Cleveland, um, he would make decisions and um, we would question him on it and he would just sort of 
blow us off. And then we would ask a second or third time. And then he would sort of get frustrated and he would come at you with some sort of point per possession stat or um, in-depth scouting thing. And it was, and he, and it was like, okay, he's really on top of all of this. And, but he, he, he's so disingenuous, dis, not disingenuous, dis in, uh, you know, disillusioned with like press conferences and stuff that he got to the point where he'd get asked, you know, strategy questions and he'd go, I don't know. And I don't think it, it made him, it made it look like the championship. He was just sort of there riding along and that's just not true. He's a very, very strong coach, a very, very strong relationship builder, which is why I'm not surprised he got the job. But Kirk, you think this is pretty high stakes. I I know it's high stakes. I mean, here's another team that is championship or bust in the Western Conference that's loaded with such teams, including the the team that shares the building with them. Um, But yeah, one more thing that I was going to bring up about Ty Lue is is he has a unique challenge here. They have the talent. I mean, I was one of the people who picked him to come out of the West. I was one of the people who was shocked that they, they fell apart in the bubble. Um, but but he has to get this team to coalesce and he has to get players uh, to become better than just random parts. And and Ty Lue becomes Kawhi Leonard's fourth coach in four seasons. Uh, and these aren't just the other three coaches aren't exactly random coaches. Uh, we're looking at Doc Rivers. We're looking at Nick Nurse and we're looking at Greg Popovich. If Lou stumbles and I think anything short of the conference finals would be considered a major stumble. Uh, there's a really good chance one way or another that Leonard will have five different coaches in a five-year span in his prime. Uh, and, and Brian, if that happens, I think we will see the perceptions of failure uh, tilt away from the coaches a little bit. So that's what I'm looking for here. It, it's essentially akin to Mike Budenholzer territory. Uh, Ty Lu can have the best regular season in the world, go 68-14 if we play 82 games. Uh, that can be a top five offense, top five. Defense. Nobody's going to care. Uh, the regular expect- season expectations are in place, and we won't know how good this hire is or how successful Ty Lu is until we see the Clippers make or miss the conference finals. Uh, and that's really the litmus test for if this was a good move or not. I'm fascinated to see what they do with the roster. I'm fascinated to see um, of three guys, Pat Beverly, Lou Will, and Montrez Harrell, how many of those three guys are back with the Clippers next season? Well, um, Montrez is a free agent, um, mm-hmm. but I th- as so is Marcus Morris. But I think the Clippers are highly motivated to re-sign both of them, even if they're not the the perfect fit for where they go as a team. They need to have them as trade assets, right? Um, and it's it's probably not going to be a super strong, you know, you know, Marcus Morris specifically. They traded for him, and then his role was not great. He, you know, they didn't carve out a role for him. And I mean, I have not spoken to him. I want to be clear on this, but I doubt he had a very enjoyable experience um, in that situation. Uh, so they they have to come to him with more than a contract offer. They have to come to him with. Um, with how you know how Ty wants to use him, uh, but you're right, McMahon. Um, uh, you know, Lou is going into the last year of his contract. Um, Beverly is at the, is one year into a long term deal, um, a three year deal. Yeah, he's got uh, multiple years left. Yeah, yeah multiple years left. Um, but the interesting thing about them is that 
they had these ball handlers on their roster. And like one of the things that I kept saying during the season, and this is just shows how, you know, nobody knows, nobody really knows. I was like, well, they have, they could go multiple different gears. If they need a defensive point guard, they can play Beverly. If they need, uh, when they need to have offensive point guard, they can, they can play uh, uh, Lou. George can handle the ball a little bit. Kawhi can handle the ball a little bit. Even Landry Shamit in a pinch can handle the ball a little bit. I'm like, but they got all these options. They can go 15 different ways. When the truth was at the end, when you actually watched it play out, they had all these guys who could do some things, but they had no guy who they could put out there and fully trust. Yeah. So now they, they had no, they did not have a primary facilitator. Right. So you like watch them against Denver and they're having problems getting into their offense. Uh, against an uh, a you know a below playoff average defensive team, and it was like, what is going on here? And so um, Lawrence Frank figuring out what to do with those pieces and parts, and you know, like, we, you know, when you look at the free agents, you know, there's a couple of guys out there, Kirk, like you know, you know DJ Augustine is out there, Jeff Teague is out there, Rondo is out there, but I I doubt the Lakers are letting that happen. Uh, Rondo would probably be good for them. Um, that would be interesting, but I, I don't know if there's an answer on the free agent market. You know, no, there probably at. isn't because I mean, you said something so kind from the Department of Kind Words. The Denver Nuggets, I picked the, the Clippers to blow through the Nuggets because coming into that series, you know, the Clippers were a top five offense, and the the Nuggets were one of they were no I'll, I'll say it, they were the worst defense in the bubble coming into that series it looked like a total mismatch on paper not only that the nuggets I don't know if you heard on. but it was 3-1 <laughs> they were uh they were running on fumes too it was 3-1 i i did remember that brian uh but yeah <laughs> i think it's important to point out that this loaded offense that we all thought was pretty stacked and could beat you in different ways whether it was Lou Will and Montrez in a pick and roll one night or Kawhi going off or Paul George going off another night, Marcus Morris getting on, they fell apart. The reason they lost to the Nuggets was their offense couldn't score on one of the worst defenses in the playoffs. Uh, and that's what Ty Lue is walking into. And so I think when you're looking at Tim's question, what do you do with this roster? You have some trust questions. Can you trust Patrick Beverly? Uh, can you trust Montrez Harrell? Uh, and, and with Harrell especially, I think he's really interesting because he looks so good and so efficient for so long, but he was just not a factor in the playoffs and he's going to cost a lot of money uh, in this off season. So uh, I think- see, I'm not, I'm not as convinced about that. See McMahon, you are, you are echoing what other people I've talked to in the league have said, they're like, who's paying him? Yeah. It only takes one as they say in the business. And I want to point you. out he is represented by rich Paul. I just think he cost they, himself they, a they lot not, of money in the bubble. They do not mess around. Uh, clutch does not, I mean, you know, they don't win every negotiation, right? But you know, if you think that they're going to do a, you know, like for example, clutch represents Contavious Caldwell Pope, okay? Caldwell Pope is going to opt out when he sits down with the Lakers. <laughs> you, if you think that Rich Paul's going to be like, well, you know, I know I got Anthony Davis and LeBron here, I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a bone here. And, no. you know, that's not the way these dudes roll. So like Montrez Harrell will, will walk to any team in the league. Uh, he's not just going to uh, stay there just because the Clippers are good and he has a chance to win and it's in LA. Um, there's not going to be a discount there, but at the same time, you have to have a market as, as uh, McMahon said. 
Yeah, and and again, I think a combination of few teams with cap space, one that would have made sense being the Hawks, uh, having gone a different route by trading for Capella, um, and then you know, the, look, you have to acknowledge the circumstances were terrible in the for Montrez Harrell in the restart with the passing of his grandmother, him missing the entire seating schedule, basically trying to chip off whatever it was at that point, what five months of rust uh, during the playoffs. But boy, he struggled. Yeah, you know, Charlotte is a is a team that could be interested, and they have cap space, but they also have the number three pick, and they could end up with James Wiseman in the draft. And then if that happens, um, I'm not sure they're in. You know, and 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 if Wiseman is there, I think they're taking him because they've got some some perimeter players um, that they've uh, they've already got on their roster. Um, so. Uh, you know, that may, that door could close too. So it, it, you know, we'll have to see how this, uh, how the draft plays out to see how the market, uh, may go as well. But, um, you know, but they could also do a sign and trade. It doesn't just have to be a team with space. You know, there could be teams out there that are interested in him. Um, but, uh, you know, last year, um, uh, Jonas Valanciunas in Memphis got a three-year, fifteen million dollar a year deal. Three years, forty-five million. I can't remember whether the um, last year was fully guaranteed, um, but that was kind of, you know, centers aren't really getting paid anymore. You know, that sort of set the bar for your better than average center. Uh, and I'm sure when when Montrez saw that, he was thinking that that would be the range that he would at least get. I'm not sure he gets that. If he does get it, he will have done well, I think. Um, but I'll tell you one thing: with all that the that the Clippers have invested in this season, uh, so much so that they fired Doc Rivers, that they hired Ty Lue, that you know that uh, Paul George and Kawhi can be free agents after the year. The fact that the owner is worth $60 billion or $70 billion, I haven't checked Microsoft stock. Um, I don't think they're cutting corners. I would not be surprised if they re-signed both Harrell and Morris to significant deals and used their exceptions that were available to them uh, to try to build up that roster as much as possible. Uh, and I also wouldn't be surprised if they looked at the trade market for all of those guys, Beverly, Lou, Harrell, um, to see everything that was uh, was out there. But uh, Ty Lu, it's a great job and a challenging job, as Kirk said. All right, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We appreciate it. Everybody, uh, thanks to Kirk. Thanks to Tim. Hope everybody has a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.